Welcome to the Thrive Podcast from Syngenta, where the latest news, farming tips, and innovations come together to educate and inspire. Hello, I'm your host, Katie Lloyd, and you're listening to the latest Syngenta Thrive Podcast. Thank you for being here today. We have some great guests to talk about some very applicable topics, so grab a cup of coffee or your favorite snack, settle in, and let's get into it. I'm here today with Dr. Tim Pastor, president of the Health and Environmental Sciences Institute and founder of Pastor Science Communications, LLC. He's been in the field of toxicology and human health risk assessment for over 40 years and still works with companies to help with the registration of new ag technologies. He's a seasoned communicator who's deeply knowledgeable on discerning information, biases, and how we as consumers can be better listeners and communicators. So, Tim, I'm curious what kind of got you into the field of information, misinformation, and kind of giving guidance on that from the toxicology background in the first place. What I was seeing is uh, two things going on. Number one, there were people that were uh, spreading misinformation about toxicology in general, pesticides in particular, and they were very good at it. And so I decided that the best thing to do was learn how to be a better communicator. I've seen that personally in agriculture. When I joined a couple of years ago in this field, there's just so much that you don't know if you're not in it, right? And there's so much that just the general consumer public doesn't realize or doesn't know. And so taking it out of agriculture from your observation in your field, how's the information or just the sheer amount of information as it comes misinformation um, increased over the last couple of years just with, you know, the rise of social media and stuff like that? Well, I would say that the the increase in information in general has, has increased uh, exponentially over the last 10, 20 years. And I think, as we all know, that has a lot to do with the fact that there is social media. Uh, you can go through uh, Facebook, Instagram, a lot of different things and get information. It becomes overwhelming after a while. But I think that it's very clear that the information river uh, has become almost uh, unmanageable for most of us. You kind of bring up a good point of just the amount, like the sheer amount of information that the public or people are consuming is incredibly vast and has definitely increased over the last couple of years. And I think what can be tricky and just as it comes to information and taking it in is that you can generally find what you want to see and what you want to hear and you can find information that, you know, really kind of backs up what you believe or your point as it comes to any different topic. So I guess my question then is how does that impact ag specifically in general and what can the effects of that be? I like to say that there's kind of a three-legged stool for making up your mind on when information is going to be useful. And that three-legged stool says, look at the qualifications of the individual giving you the information. Uh, Secondly, look at their objectivity. Uh, And then finally, is the opinion that's being rendered something that has a consensus feel to it? So qualifications, objectivity, and consensus. And I'd like to talk about each one of those if we could. Yeah, definitely. I would love to hear you go in depth on some of those. So the first one being qualifications, is the person qualified to really talk about the subject matter, whether it's agriculture or climate change or pesticide use, whatever it might be. Um, The second one is about their objectivity. Objectivity means, can you stand, can an individual stand back from the subject matter and give you an opinion that is not rendered to try and convince you of something necessarily? So let me give you a good example of that objectivity. I was invited to the Northwest Weed 
Science Society. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason they invited me was because, well, not only am I qualified as a toxicologist and a risk assessor, but my second point being objectivity. And they said, would you come in and try and just cut through all of that information out there that's so confusing? And uh, I gave a talk that was supposed to go for about 20 minutes. Well, I was on the podium for about an hour because everyone had so many questions. And I think it was all about some degree of trust that they had because of the objectivity that I was bringing to the subject matter. You said one word that I think is um, key kind of to that point, um, the word convince. So you're not necessarily trying to convince them because I think if you're objective and you're qualified, like you said, you state the facts and then let the facts kind of do what they may. So what's the third thing to look at? The third one has to do with consensus. Consensus means that there are a number of expert opinions that are coming together and saying basically the same thing. So my husband is a doctor of physical therapy and they rely heavily on peer-reviewed journals and evidence-based practice. And I'm hearing you say these different points, qualification, objectivity, and consensus, and using those to discern information and determine bias. And so it's interesting because he and I have had these conversations too, as it relates to his industry of physical wellness and best practices and like confirmation of how our body heals and what helps it get better faster, stuff like that. So the thing is like what they say about certain things over time, like, you know, information can change based on um, new information and evidence coming out. And that's okay that the information changes as you get more and more studies come to light. And so it's interesting to hear it really kind of resounding through multiple industries because I think it's just an overarching topic of how we consume information. That's very correct, uh, Katie, because uh, it 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 uh, transcends agriculture. It goes into just about every kind of conversation that we have on things that we're trying to make decisions about. Can the vegetarian and the the carnivore have a meal together? That's really the question, and it's one that um, is. I think so important for us to consider in these days of divisive conversations and to try and say, how are we going to take it out of a divisive conversation and make it into one that we can find growth and collective decision-making that actually promotes the better good for our communities and for our families. You can find middle ground sometimes, and I'm not saying one is right and one is wrong, or one has to be right and one has to be wrong, but I think there's middle ground for a lot of things or places where people can see eye to eye, even without agreeing, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense to me what you're saying, Katie, because it's a matter of giving the person their space to be who they are and what their opinions are uh, and and expect that they will return that favor to you. Mm-hmm. And that, that way you can have a vegetarian sitting down with a carnivore and having a, a, a meal. There are so many cases where I have opinions, strong opinions for that matter, whether it's atrazine or uh, pesticide use or climate change, whatever it might be. But I am trying very hard to say, you can have your opinion. That's fine. I, I can live with that. And I can have my opinions. But where can we find that middle ground where it's going to make a difference in helping our communities? You can say that with pesticide use, for example, that uh, there are people who are totally organic and have their opinions and very strong opinions in that realm. And there are those of us who have very strong opinions on 
modern agriculture. Well, we would hope we can all sit down at the same table together and embrace each other's opinions and yet find middle ground. Yeah, I love that, especially because there is, as it relates to agriculture, there's a place for organic farming and there's a place for modern agriculture and there's reasons for both and value in both. And so what sources for agriculture do you find most helpful for growers to evaluate that new ag technology? One of the best sources of information is going to be the official sources like FDA, like EPA, that sort of source of information. And let me tell you why. The The, the main reason, it goes back to the three-legged stool that I was talking about. Do they have the qualifications, objectivity, and consensus uh, to, to form an opinion uh, that can guide you in your decisions. So if I go to EPA with regard to a particular pesticide, I would look at EPA because they have the qualified experts to be looking at it in an objective way, and they will present their findings in a public uh, forum uh, that cites the consensus views, not only of people in the EPA, but what is in the literature. So that's a very good starting spot. The other thing that I would highly recommend is that you go to a trusted third party. So if there's anything that you can leave with this audience, what is the one thing you really want them to come away with knowing? The one thing that I would want the podcast audience to hear is try and avoid the echo chamber. The echo chamber is what we tend to form when we only watch one form of news. It's when we listen to only people that that uh, will give us an echo of the opinion that we have in our own minds. Let's be open. Let's open our ears before we open our mouths and accept opinions that are different from others so that we can grow and make better decisions going forward. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your insight on how we can discern unbiased information in today's information inundated culture. Listeners, stay tuned. We'll be joined shortly by David Widmar, co-founder and managing partner of Agricultural Economic Insights, for his expertise on the intersection of agronomics and economics. I'm here now with David Widmar, a farm kid from Eastern Kansas who fell in love with ag economics and has been sharing resources and knowledge to help growers make better decisions for their operations through Agricultural Economics Insights or AEI.ag. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today, David. First, um, would you give us just how you're defining economics so we're all on the same page? And then we'd love to hear how AEI came to be. Economics is really the idea of how individuals make decisions in light of scarce resources. And so my undergrads from Kansas State University, went to Purdue University for my graduate work. And I have spent most of my career actually at Purdue University working with growers and ag retailers. And about, uh, I guess, Eight years ago, in 2014, my co-founder and I, uh, Brent Gloy, we were both working at Purdue, and we had some shared um, a shared vision, some shared ideas about information and uh, the types of information, the quality of information that was out there for uh, the farm economy, both for growers and those who work across the table from growers. And we launched a blog called uh, Ag Economic Insights or AEI.ag. We've been writing a weekly blog post for eight years. Along the way, um, we've grown the business. And so currently, um, most of you all listening might be familiar with us from the AEI Weekly Insights blog, from the AEI Premium section of our website, which includes the Ag Forecast Network tool. Those are all geared around helping producers have better content for making decisions and better tools to 
size up their expectations and their thinking. Wow, that's great. It sounds like you guys have a lot going on to help growers. So input costs are always a concern and are currently even more of a concern than usual given the rising costs. So can you discuss um, kind of what you're seeing and how that has been impacting the decision making? Yeah, so almost every one of our costs for our budgets in 2022 have gone up. Fertilizer is being has been the most obvious, um, but it's all the cost categories, labor, uh, herbicide, fungicide, seed, machinery, cash rent, family living. We have an economy that has uh, increased inflation, inflation like we haven't seen in several decades over the last six months. But we also have a farm sector that has a lot of profitability. We had a very profitable year in 2021. So there's a lot of bidding up going on for the resources we use in agriculture. And one of those right now is land. We've seen farmland values increase a lot. We've also seen cash rental rates start to trend higher. It's going to take us a few months to get all of that data you know, summarized. Producers are in the midst of negotiating um, their latest equipment purchases or their latest cash rental rates. And so uh, we'll see how that plays out. But this sort of sudden increase in the cost structure has a lot of producers, it's causing some angst, it's causing a lot of uh, nervous uh, feelings, and rightfully so. The cost of production last year in 2021 was somewhere around $4 a bushel for a lot of producers for raising a bushel of corn in the Midwest. Heading into 2022, it's going to cost somewhere uh, in excess of $5 a bushel. So we've added more than a dollar a bushel in production costs. I mean, just in one year, risen a dollar plus, like that's, wow. So taking all of this into consideration, I'm going to ask you a bit of a tricky question. Um, so which should growers prioritize, agronomics or economics? And how do you pick or do you have to? Well, I think we all have a default, right? So I'm an economist by training. My default is to go back to the budgets and update the assumptions for production costs, the assumptions for yield, the assumptions for commodity prices, and look at the overall broad picture. Now, Admittedly, there's going to be listeners out there who are very agronomic focused, and they're going to want to go and sort of think about their yield implications and how they can maintain their yields, how they can make sure they're um, getting strong yields, maybe increasing their yields in, in, in light of all the situations that we have. But ultimately, the best decisions occur at the intersection of economics and agronomics. If we lean too heavily on just one of these, we might end up with a suboptimal decision. For example, if we want the lowest, if we just want to hold our cost per acre down, and um, you can get your cost per acre pretty darn low, um, just cutting back on all your fertilizer and all your seeding rates. And, but that's going to lead you to the suboptimal agronomic implications. And, and conversely, if you focus only on agronomic, you can leave the economics behind. So we have to uh, bring those together and make good decisions from both sides of the ledger. Yeah, I think you said it best. The prime spot is at the intersection of agronomics and economics. I'm curious, at the end of the season with all the numbers, is there one that you feel like is the main number to review? The most important number that producers should reflect on, the first one they should reflect on is the whole farm profitability. Were they able to, to generate enough profits to um, cover all their production expenses, to meet all their cash flow obligations, and then ultimately to make progress towards their long-term goals. And I think that's an important starting point because what that allows us to do is um, really have uh, 
a starting point for reflection of what went well, what could we improve, and how can we make better decisions uh, for next season. We have this toolbox, and all these tools are in the toolbox. And so as we consider the overall metrics for our operation, we need to use those tools to help us peel back the layers, to dive in and to dig underneath the hood a little bit, to really find ways to fine-tune our operation and to dial it in for future success. Yeah, you're right. That starting point is key. So I'd love to dig into that whole farm profitability a bit more. One question we often hear getting raised is, you know, were you profitable or what were your costs of production for a given year? And there's sort of different ways to think about that. There are economic costs, which are near and dear to me as an economist, but that's the idea. Well, what's a, a rate that we should be charging for all the assets utilized? So what was our cash rent for, uh, what's the return that we pay to the land or the cash rent for all the acres, both rented and owned? What's uh, the value of all the labor utilized? What's the value of the management? Um, not a lot of producers track economic costs. Economists do, but not a lot of producers, but it's important them to follow. And then there are cash flow break-evens. So how much cash do we need to generate uh, to pay all of our debt? And then how much is our tax liability? Uh, do we generate a, a tax liability from our earnings this year? And then, of course, the one of the ones that I think is most important is this idea of do we generate enough earnings to cover all of our needs and also make progress towards our goals. And so maybe you have a goal of expanding the operation. And to do that, you need to grow your working capital. Or maybe you need to make some new investments in equipment or facilities. It's really important to think about those long-term goals and not just become short-sighted on, you know, did I get enough cash generated to pay all my debt this year? Or did I generate uh, a tax liability? Have you seen shifts within the industry and how U.S. growers can weigh the value of good agronomics versus good economics? I think what's happened is as we continue to make advances, the gains that we're making are becoming a bit incremental. And what that means is the gains maybe aren't as big as they used to be. And so we really have to spend our time understanding all the agronomic implications and all the economic implications and how all these uh, situations fit together. So let's move over the last two decades to use precision agriculture and the data and the tools and the measurements to help us make those decisions. That's an example of making sure we're doing a really good job of getting into that intersection of economics and agronomics and making sure we're making the right decision at a farm level but also at a field or a soil type or a grid level within our organization. You mentioned that some of them are incremental changes, right? Some of them are a little less obvious changes to make that can improve those economics on your operation. So how do they go about finding those smaller incremental changes that really do add up in the big picture? Where would you um, kind of recommend starting with that? So I think there's two ways that this can, can take place. The first way is review opportunities that come your direction. And so maybe there's a new hybrid in, uh, available in your market, or maybe there's a new um, crop protection solution that's available for you to review and to consider. The second way um, for producers to consider this scenario, and it's a really important consideration, is identifying problems within the organization or opportunities they want to pursue uh, internally and then going out and finding the right partners to help them uh, solve that. 
what are some of those longer term investments that might be incremental? You know, a great example of this is cover crops. Uh, cover crops are a long term investment and producers also need to think about how long of an investment are they willing to think about? What are the benefits that they're trying to to measure and capture? Is it soil organic matter? Is it a fertility angle? Is it a herbicide weed pressure issue? Is it all three? And then sort of realizing that both the timelines could be different than what you expect, but you still need to put an expectation, put a stake in the ground, and then think about all the types of benefits that could be accrued. You know, another example uh, are grain bins. You know, what are our expectations for the types of returns? You know, grain bins are a big investment. How much better of a price can I get from storing my grain in this this bin that I own? What are the expenses associated with that? What are the gains that I'm going to improve uh, in my harvest pace? How much faster can I harvest in the fall? And then how much labor is it going to take for me to empty these bins and haul this uh, corn or these soybeans off to market? Those are really great examples. So shifting a bit, Yield contests like the NCGA National Corn Yield Contest give us the ability to see those incremental yields and celebrate the grower. So what other values can this type of contest bring to U.S. ag? Well, I think the most obvious is the idea of what are the upper bounds of productivity in U.S. agriculture and what are the upper bounds of productivity on soils in your region or for uh, fields in your operation. So this is an interesting and important way of really pushing the envelope, so to speak, and to figure out what the agronomic maximums are and what are the inputs. Uh, and I use that word broadly, right? What's the fertilizer and the fertilizer sources and the seeds and the seeds uh, populations and the genetics, all of these things, what are the inputs that we use to to move towards that? So even if we do that, even if that's the purpose, that's that's still valuable. But I think operations that are able to capture those inputs, to think about the scalability of some of those agronomic decisions they're making can really help them dial in the decisions they make for their their whole farm or across all their acres. And of course, winning is valuable. Um, <laughs> we have a tagline within some of the stuff that we do. We say, you win some, you lose some. But always be learning. Yeah, that's so good. Wise advice. Thank you for joining me today, David. Um, So for growers who want more information, visit aei.ag or subscribe to the Syngenta Thrive magazine. There's a new agronomics of economics column featuring AEI. So you can get a free subscription to the magazine at syngenta-us.com slash thrive. Thrive TV's Adam Baxt here. How's it going, Thrive listeners? I know David mentioned the National Corn Growers Association 2022 Yield Contest, so I wanted to dive into that for a second. Yes, let's dive in. I hear contest and I am in. It does not take much for me. So step one, growers who are using Acuron corn herbicide this year can and should sign up for the Find More Bushels program by August 17th to receive exclusive in-season rewards and access to premium crop marketing content from David's company, Agricultural Economics Insights. Ooh, exclusivity and rewards. Okay, what's step two? This is where it's going to get more exciting. Participants who also enter the National Corn Growers Association 2022 Yield Contest win and meet all the program requirements for the 2022 Acuron Find More Bushels program will receive their choice of award. So not only are you helping push that envelope and see what kind of yield is possible, like David was talking about, 
but you can possibly get an award too. So love that. Here's the question we're all wondering, what are the awards? Entice me. Anyone who is a yield contest winner, either a published first, second, or third place national winner or first place state winner in the NCGA 2022 National Corn Yield Contest who has opted into the Find More Bushels program and used Acuron on the winning plot will receive their choice of one of the following Find More Bushel awards. A trip for two to Commodity Classic 2023 in Orlando, Florida, or a DTN Ag Weather Station with a 12-month my DTN subscription. Oh, I was just at Commodity Classic in New Orleans and they were teasing the next year's conference in Orlando, which would be so much fun. Where can growers sign up? Okay, so long URL coming up your way, <laughs> but it's worth it, I promise. Okay. Growers can sign up at marketing.syngenta-us.com slash MC dash Acuron dash FMB dash 2022. <laughs> you weren't kidding. Long, long URL, but totally worth it. Like he said, best of luck, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Thrive Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to receive the latest updates in your favorite podcast listening platform. Always read and follow label instructions. Acuron is a restricted use pesticide. Please visit marketing.syngenta-us.com slash mc-acuron-fmb-2022 for complete rules and requirements for the 2022 Acuron Fine More Bushels Program. 